What's going on, guys? Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Spitfire Podcast. Before we get to our episode this week, I have some exciting news to share with you. If you've listened to any past shows, you might have heard some hints that I've been up to a book. That's right, Spitting Fire, your guide to reignite and maintain your passion at homework and beyond is coming your way. I've just finalized the final proofs. It will be ready. So if you would like to get your hands on a copy, you don't have to wait until August 18th. That's right. You can pre-order at spitfirecoach.com slash pre-order and you'll save 30%. I know it's crazy. I'll even sign the copy for you. Now, if you are in DC or will be in DC on August 17th, I would love to see you. We will have past guests of the podcast, Spitfires, all of this amazing energy to celebrate the release of Spitting Fire. If you'd like to attend, seats are going fast and they are limited. Head on over to spitfirecoach.com book, hit the event link, and I hope to see you then. And now for today's show. Uncovering your truth and fire one conversation at a time. This is a Spitfire podcast. The Spitfire Podcast is brought to you by the Spitfire Coach, also known as me. I am Lauren Lemonian, based out of Washington, D.C., and I am a life and business coach. So if you want a little fire lit under you for your business or career, hit me up at spitfirecoach.com. If you have been listening the last week, you will know that we've kind of pivoted a little bit. Yes, we love our entrepreneurs. We love focusing on their journeys of inspiration and the bumps along the way, but we're going to go a little deeper this week as well. We're talking about mental health and specifically isolation. Last week, we focused on self-care as part of our practice of those evil goblins of anxiety, which inevitably come up when we're really obsessing about the future. But this show is all about isolation and the need for network and community and collaboration. As entrepreneurs, as solopreneurs, we tend to bury our head in the sand or think we have to do it ourselves. We burn the midnight oil, we work away, we work 18-hour days, and then we wonder why we're burnt out and why we have no energy and why we don't want to get out of bed some days. I know I had that experience a couple weeks ago because I wasn't sleeping and I wasn't asking for help. And then I saw this magical post that my guest today put up, and it was the most vulnerable and raw experience that she put out there to not ask for pity, to not ask for, you know, you got it, girl, but to really just be raw and real about her experience with isolation, with her own mental health experience, and kind of the stigma that goes along with it. And we want to shed some light today because we are only as sick as our secrets, and we are as strong as the numbers that we have backing us up. And if you aren't aware of the impacts of isolation, don't worry, I've done a little research for you. Yes, that's right, me and Google are friends. I went on and there was a study from McGill University and basically they studied the causes and the impacts of social isolation in nursing homes and also in prisons, so that whole idea of isolation tanks. And they said that um, basically it was four hours of someone being isolated it led to a distorted perception of time, high levels of anxiety, and even hallucinations. So in four hours, people were already impacted by their heads just going out of control because they didn't have social interactions, they had nothing to base things off of. Now, that doesn't mean that you're gonna have that in everyday life because obviously we have things other than padded walls or darkness, but overall, the dangers of isolation, it showed that there was a risk of death at an increase of 50%. And there were even more issues with your blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, 
uh, it leaves you more vulnerable to infection and having an overactive immune response. So the mind-body connection is huge. So that's not saying like go out and join five billion clubs because you need to interact with people, but understanding when you are self-isolating, when you need to reach out and ask for help, and just being aware of where you are in the mix of things. But we're going to go deeper, and I am not going to butcher your name because I've, I've practiced twice now. So Stacy Deshaun. Yes. Did I get it? Yes. You got it. Fantastic. <laughs> so talk a little bit about your post that you put up on Facebook a couple weeks ago. So the post, um, it actually had been brewing in my head for a while. Um, a few weeks prior, uh, Facebook memories ever so helpfully uh, <laughs> pulled something up from 2016. Um, and you know, I tend to dread those posts when they come up, especially uh, the last four years of my life, um, particularly have been a lot of major transition um, and personal life changes, um, financial issues because of that, um, just lots and lots of change. I've moved three times in four years as, you know, a result of that. Um, and I, I don't necessarily post a lot of really vulnerable information. It's certainly not, I try to keep it positive, um, on Facebook, but there, there are a few posts here and there scattered throughout, which may not have been quite so meaningful to somebody reading them, but going, it definitely brought me back to see it. Um, and this was one in particular where I had had this day, um, of this time of reflection. I mean, it had been a really, really difficult day and I had written about, um, I, I, I remember just feeling in this, like I was in this cloud, and then at the end of the day, um, my neighbor had come over and brought me a plate of food, and it, it was so meaningful to me in that moment because I was having such a difficult day, um, and so I had sat down and written about it, but looking back now, two years later, I remembered all of those feelings and the horrible day I had had and then that bright spot at the end of the day but I also could see what I was going through from a different perspective because at that time when I had written the post I didn't know that I was struggling with severe anxiety and depression um, and had been really for a while um, I thought it was it was actually before I had gone through a battery of medical tests to try to figure out uh, you know what was going on with my body. So anyway, um, seeing that from this perspective um, was so was so interesting for me because at almost this exact moment of seeing that post, I was in the same place. So um, as you probably know, and uh, you know if you've worked with people or experienced it yourself that experience mental illness, it's very cyclical, you know, um, you, you have times where it peaks and generally it's not constant. Um, and I guess I'm one of the lucky ones who has had periods of relief from it, but when it flares up, I tend to not recognize it for a while. And I had literally just a few weeks ago, um, I had just, finally said, wow, I think I'm actually really sick and I need to go to the doctor and I need to make some changes. Um, and, and it was at that moment that this, that this Facebook memory came up and 
it was interesting to contrast the two experiences, you know, sort of seeing it like before and after I had the understanding of what was going on. Um, and also contrasting where I was in my life. At the time that I wrote the first post in 2016, I actually had gone through a pretty traumatic breakup um, about maybe three or four months before. Um, and I'm sure that contributed to my mental state at the time. Um, but I was alone. I was, um, I was very isolated. Um, it was, so summer at work, um, I work at a school and it's shortened hours, so I don't have as much uh, work interaction. Um, and I was just feeling very unsupported, you know, disconnected. Um, and I was sort of voluntarily doing that to myself. It's, you know, it's, um, it sort of feeds into itself, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and then, and seeing, and, and then being brought back and remembering how, how difficult it was for me to climb out of that. I mean, it took so long. It got so bad. I had written that post, I think it was June, and that's why the memory had come up, but I didn't actually get on medication and start the road to recovery until September. Mm -hmm. um, and I was already feeling so bad, you know, at that point, um, but I had gone through all these medical tests and it, I had to change doctors in the meantime, so it was, a, it was a long journey. And then it was probably six months at least until I was really feeling better. So it was a really long difficult journey out. Um, and my most recent experience this year of going through it again, it was very intense physically, um, psychologically, um, maybe even more intense mm -hmm. than two years ago. But now I'm in a secure, committed relationship, romantic relationship. And so, I think what had moved me so much in seeing, wow, um, the difference that it makes to have that person, and I don't even think it needs to necessarily be a romantic partner, but somebody who's a consistent presence in your life, mm -hmm. who's in your corner, who you can feel like um, they can, you can let them see you at your worst, so they can say, hey, you seem distant. You know, it's, it's something seems off, something seems wrong. Um, because a lot of times those early signs are missed, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't like to be anxious and tired or depressed or, you know, all the physical ways that it manifests. So I don't easily say, oh yeah, I, I don't always even recognize that something's mm -hmm. wrong because I'm very task oriented. You know, I want to get mm -hmm. stuff done. I want to, I want to be okay. I want to be independent. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess we sort of almost like fetishize independence to to an extent, right? Yeah. We're like, you know, <laughs> just a smidge. We're like, you know, that's what that's what um, that's what makes me a, a resilient, um, strong person. You yeah. know, to be able, like, I got this. Yeah. And in some ironic way, I think I almost felt overly confident in the face of the anxiety and depression symptoms coming back because like I've done this before yeah so I'm, I'm good yeah <laughs> like I can do this I did it alone before you know um but his nudging me you know and it wasn't even like I think something's wrong with you you need help it was just another human being recognizing that something you know something was going on in the dynamic of our relationship 
and then when I was able to, when I, when I was then self-reflective and saying, hmm, how do I feel? What am I feeling right now? Yeah. You know, is this more than just being tired or busy or stressed? Um, and when I was able to then acknowledge, yes, I'm struggling with this thing, he was so unconditionally supportive and loving. And um, it's so much of it is just about being present. It's not mm -hmm. being scared off. It's, it's, it's uh, not demanding an answer of why or is this my fault, you know? I think a lot of people want to be supportive for mm -hmm. people who are uh, struggling with mental health, anxiety, depression, that sort of thing. Um, but they make it unknowingly about them. It's always, yeah. And, yeah. and the last thing that somebody that's already feeling sort of trapped by their own emotions and body needs is somebody else needing something from them. Yeah. And it's a trigger for anxiety mm -hmm. and it's a trigger for depression both, I think. You know, depression is, you know, shuts you down and makes everything seem huge and hard and unsurmountable. Um, like moving is impossible. Mm -hmm. Getting out of bed to pee is impossible, <laughs> right? Um, so answering somebody's question of, you know, what the heck is wrong with you is like, well, wouldn't we all like to know? Yeah. <laughs> you or, know, so that Or when they're like, it's not that burden. bad. Like, look how great or, your life is. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, th that isn't as common, although some people will, will try to point you into the direction of positive thinking, you know, of you have so much to be grateful for. Yeah. Um, t they tend to more, it's, it's more of like, well, what's wrong? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what needs they, they to be assume, fixed? Yeah. Like what's yeah. going on in your life? Um, or it, it, the classic, if I say, oh, I, I had a really bad panic attack. It's like, well, what were you thinking about? Yeah. <laughs> like let's just don't think about those things, right? Right. Make those, make those <laughs> thoughts just go away. And also, I mean, my experience, everybody's experience is different, but my experience with panic attacks is that it's not triggered by thoughts most of the time. Mm -hmm. It's truly a physical response. Yeah. You know, it's chemical. It's below, you know, it's, it's the limbic system, right? It's below your cognitive uh, processing. It's, it's not part of executive functioning. You don't produce a thought, although it's possible to have thoughts that then trigger those kind of responses. Generally speaking, like those responses are just happening and you, your, your brain doesn't have any way to like actively yeah. control or deflect. There's things that you can do to try to calm your body, but thoughts aren't, aren't always the thing that does it. Yeah. Sometimes it's more physical, you know, physical changes that can do that. Um, so anyway, it, my, my partner was great in that he, he, he was doing all the right things mm -hmm. in not asking me those questions, not trying to fix me, but, uh, just being there with me, helping ground me physically, emotionally, mm -hmm. um, giving me context, you know, and, and I think that that's where connection is so, so powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, it gives you a sense of self. It's hard to explain, but when I would get really lost in my self, in my imbalance, I felt like I didn't exist. Yeah. And I think I've heard other people say that before. It's very hard to describe. Um, you mentioned in isolation where people hallucinate. Um, I can see how that would happen because you suddenly wonder, what is time? Am I on earth? Like <laughs> there's nothing to ground you. What is? Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you, and you forget, I, you know, we're very, 
we're really very, we're animals, right? Mm -hmm. And we have our routines and we have our habitat and we have our pack, you know, and all of, we need all those things. But I think that like the modern person, we're so evolved and we're so like cognitively oriented. We, and, and everything is invisible, right? Like you're listening to this over like invisible waves. And like, <laughs> we, we don't, we forget that we need all these tangible grounding, really basic factors. Yeah. Um, and so physical touch, obviously, is huge. Um, a lot of somatic therapies, um, which I do use, you know, it's all based on movement and touch. Mm -hmm. And like, don't worry about why you're feeling this way. We're just gonna, we're gonna move. We're gonna let the body like feel and process whatever it needs yeah. to feel. Um, and I think that a, a supportive person um, being present during a panic attack or after or uh, whatever, um, often will intuitively do those things. If mm -hmm. they're empathetic and intuitive, you know, they'll sit quietly and put an arm around you or, you know, hold your arms or hold your hand, um, rub your feet, you know, something like that. Um, and they're all very grounding, um, very grounding interactions to mm -hmm. have. Um, routine is huge too. Um, like we, we were talking about before we started the I definitely feel like it's a benefit for me to have to be like forced by my schedule um, to be out and around people you know to have those known factors um, I love flexibility but I feel like I take advantage of it when things go badly yeah <laughs> absolutely um, because just the thought of it's so crazy how your brain tricks you like where when you're in the middle of it you really feel like this well for me I feel this revulsion toward uh the idea of like getting dressed and having a human interaction mm -hmm. even sometimes when I'm doing well I'm an introvert you know yeah and so I, I get this like social anxiety that it's always fine once I do it mm. but it's the anticipation yeah of like all the effort that it's gonna take and for some reason, it just sounds so horrible, like to leave it's the house. Overwhelming. <laughs> There's a lot of unknown factors out there. Yeah, yeah, and then when when you push yourself to actually do it, it's it's very nurturing. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's it's very helpful. And even if it does take energy, and that's what I've had to learn as an introvert. Like, yes, it takes energy to have relationships and to interact with people, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Like being tired after an interaction doesn't mean it wasn't beneficial mm -hmm. and that it's not necess necessary for mm -hmm. my health and well-being. Um, so I think that's another reason why it was really different for me this time, having a partner at home, because I could be an introvert and still have to be around someone. You can't someone. escape him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's also making sure I eat. I mean, that I think you said you talked about health... Uh, self-care last time but I, I those are the kind of things that also it goes hand in hand it's linked yeah if you're not around people there's nobody making sure that you're eating and drinking you know you're not held accountable yeah. for whether you're taking care of yourself yeah like when was the last time you took a shower when did you brush your teeth last <laughs> or the, even just you know knowing that somebody is gonna see you is like hmm, mm. I should take a shower <laughs> I, should, I should have some standards today yeah yeah and you know it's it's hard I feel like a lot of um, a lot of self-care advocates and just holistic thinkers, you know, they, they talk a lot about things being internal, intrinsic motivation. You know, you got to self-love. You do it for you, not for someone outside of you. But sometimes, sometimes you need the external. Well, sometimes you don't love yourself. Yeah, 
you know and sometimes yeah. you need I mean, truly when when you're like feeling trapped in your body and your mind like you're like well self sucks so why would I do anything nice for it but if you have someone else and you know maybe it's a flaw of my character personality I don't know but I it's easier for me to do things for other people mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are wired like that um, but to have a little kick in the pants because of oh I have to do something for my son mm-hmm. or for my partner who I care about even if that something is just brushing my teeth to set an example, yeah, <laughs> or you know, to be a decent partner that has brushed their teeth, um, it can it can help that positive cycle. It can just be that little little step catalyst, in the right direction. Yeah. yeah, to help that positive cycle, so that then I can do it for myself. I can say, well, I'm a person who brushed their teeth today, so maybe I, I can get do this win. tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's all part of it, though. I mean, if you look at... So there's this amazing book. I don't know if you've read it. The Power of Habit. I haven't. So it's great. It's about, like, the cue, the behavior, and the reward. Mm-hmm. So if you don't like the the cue of, I'm going to go be social, mm-hmm. but you like the interaction and the reward of it at the end, you can almost justify it to yourself of, like, okay, I just need to get this started. Or maybe I need to adjust the behavior to get to that reward. So it's like this mm-hmm. whole other cognitive way of looking at it rather mm-hmm. as like one lump sum, mm-hmm. but as like ways of stepping yourself through it of like, I just need to yeah. get this far, these two steps, yeah. and then I can go with the flow yeah. and get to the ice cream at the end. You know, I think for me, social media has really helped with that. So it's cool that that's what we're here to talk about. That's how it initiated our interaction today. Um, because I have a really hard time, I think, with the cue of being by myself and thinking I should be unby myself, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I like being by myself. But I think social media is that perfect in between. You know, a lot of people hate on social media as as actually it it it, it somehow subtracting or stealing from real time interactions. Mm-hmm. But I will say, for me, that has not been the case, and mm-hmm. I will constantly advocate for it. I know maybe some certain people use it differently, but for me personally. Um, I know that I would not have like at least 50% of my in-person interactions if it didn't start on Facebook. Yeah. I have relationships that started there because that's what I'm doing by myself. You know, I'm having these sort of pseudo social interactions. And in the case of my posts where I was very vulnerable, it was really flooring the response that I got, um, which I wasn't doing it for a response. It was more a personal need of mine mm-hmm. to start to be more transparent about this than I had been Mm -hmm. in the past to sort of own myself and be like, this is not something I'm going to be afraid of. Um, But I ended up, I mean, so many people I had no idea. They've been on my friends list for eight years and I had no idea that they identified with this experience. Mm -hmm. And I think felt encouraged because they had no idea I I had this issue because I tend to give off more of like a not crazy vibe. <laughs> I didn't pick up on any crazy vibes. It's true. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I hear these things all the time and I'm like, if you only knew, <laughs> um, but they're like, oh, you know, people say, you're just so confident and you're so poised and put together. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm like hanging by a thread. <laughs> yeah. You just have a really good facade when all that's happening. Well, you know, we're conditioned to be that way, yeah. right? From children. Um, I know certainly it was something that was very much valued in my culture and upbringing, you know, to just hold it together and at least 
in an outward facing way, mm-hmm. you know, what goes on at home might be a little different, but at least when you're out and about and you got it all like looking good. And yeah. I don't necessarily think that there's anything wrong with that inherently. Um, but I, but it's isolating, right? Yeah. Um, then my, one of my favorite poems in the whole world, um, Shel Silverstein, he, it's called Masks. Have you ever seen it? He's one of my favorites, but I'm pro- I probably have seen it. Yeah. Let's, let's hear it. I don't, I don't you think don't I have it memorized. Oh, Isn't no. that terrible? What's, what's at the core of it? So it's like, so it says, his, his skin was blue. Hers was too. He looked for blue um, the, his whole life through. Then they passed right by and never knew. Um, I, I missed the line where it says he, he covered it. So, and, and there's a little illustration where both of them are wearing masks. And they pass each other. Mm-hmm. And they don't know that they both had blue skin. Um, and I think that that's a perfect example, you know, with mental illness is a core of mental illness is feeling isolated, right? It's, yeah. it's feeling You're wrong. the only one. You're, or you're flawed. Yeah. You're like deeply flawed. And we, we conflate that with being somehow less than human. And mm-hmm. maybe that's where it comes from. Like, am I real? Am I alive? Am I here? You know, like, yeah. am I a person? Because this, is this how people feel? This is weird. <laughs> Um, but then when you share that and you realize that so many people feel that way mm-hmm. and just that act of connection, it, it actually has so many happy brain chemical things. You know, all of those terrible things that you read in the beginning that happen in isolation, the, the, rev- the inverse is true that when you connect, your brain is like, woohoo, and yeah. it's like making all of these happy hormones. Um, I, I read an article about addiction and it said, you know, the headline was, it was trending and it was, the, it was very catchy and it said, you know, the opposite of addiction is, is not sobriety, it's human connection. Mm-hmm. And I, I looked a lot more into that. It was a few years ago when I read it and I was going through all of these issues and, um, and it had talked about the, all of the, you know, dopamine and serotonin and, um, oxytocin that are produced in your brain, yeah. they're all the drug chemicals, you yeah. know, it's all those things that are addictive um, and can really damage you when you overdo it with external, um, you know, non-prescription drugs or abusing prescription drugs, but they are, those. that's what happens when you feel a sense of yeah. belonging, you know, and um, that almost, that makes so much sense though, why when you get sober and you don't reconnect into a community why you're so much more likely to relapse mm-hmm. because you're isolated and you're not getting any of those hormonal releases that you felt mm-hmm. with the drugs. You're not getting the and human connection. a lot of people end up uh, with a propensity towards addiction because of uh, attachment issues yeah. in their childhood. Yep. Um, so you end up with a, with a, like a sort of inbuilt chemical imbalance from your infancy or young childhood. And you're constantly, you don't realize that you're trying to balance your chemical imbalance with drugs that are producing dopamine and all of these, all of these nice, happy things, serotonin. Um, and that what you're actually seeking is connection. Yeah. You want to feel connected. You want to feel human. Yeah. And you want to feel seen. Seen and heard. You want to feel seen and yeah. heard. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, um, I ended up getting two Facebook messages from two different people saying, me too. Mm-hmm. Um, and even sharing some in depth about their experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, both of them said, I've never told anyone this. You're so brave to say this publicly. 
Um, my aunt actually posted publicly as a comment saying she went through the same thing for 10 years. I had no idea a person in my family, you wow. know, had actually experienced something very similar, which, I mean, that's good information to have just in general. Yeah. Um, but and so many people uh, said, yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, and it really, it did feel at that point, like almost like coming out, like it's, it's, I was like, wow. And I almost still feel like I'm in that process. And even with doing this podcast, like, there's still a little bit of discomfort there of like, am I ready it's for new. this to be part of my identity, like my public identity? You know, I, I feel like there's somewhat of a resistance at first. Like, I want this to be something that I manage and then that goes away. Like, okay, I had the flu and then I got better and now I don't have the flu anymore. Like, I'm not a person with the flu, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, that's what I wanted it to be and something that I could overcome. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, hmm. Yeah, it's <laughs> a new maybe normal. maybe a little more integral piece of who I am. Yeah. And it's tough because, like, we, wanna, we want to open the discussion of mental illness to being more about, like, it's like having any other kind of illness. It's not your fault. You shouldn't feel bad. But at the same time, it's it feels almost kind of bad to talk about it being an illness too, yeah. you know, where this is also how I'm wired. Mm -hmm. This affects how I work. This affects my personality. This affects how I'm a partner and how I'm a friend. And I think that it gives me a lot of empathy and it gives me certain skills um, because of the work that I have to do. Um, and then there's also downsides, you know? So it's sort of strange to feel like an illness is part of your character or part of your personality, right. you know? But it sort of is. And there is this acceptance of that, mm -hmm. I think, at least for me. Yeah. It sounds like you're rebuilding now. You've kind of like, you're like, here I am, and now you've got these pieces, and you get to build what the new normal looks like and how, how much you share and how much you don't share. Mm -hmm. Because not everything that happens to you, you don't have to share your diary, but you can share mm -hmm. your story. And I think that there's power in all of that, just like you're doing today. And that is an integral part of being a spitfire, of owning your truth, of owning your vulnerability, your flaws, your strengths, whatever it is. It's all part of your, your massive power. Mm -hmm. and you have a job to do here. Mm -hmm. And so once you know this, you can't unknow it. Mm -hmm. This is this is not it's not that you are the illness, but this is like you are part of the voice of bringing awareness to it in lifting the cover of it so that other people can be inspired to share and to mm -hmm. come out and mm -hmm. and and to be themselves and not just have this label of damaged. Right. Yeah, seeing yourself, I think for me seeing myself as part of a of a of a whole and so I have all these elements to myself, right? And the anxiety and depression is one element. Mm -hmm. And kind of on a macro scale, it's, that's how we are as people, right, as a community. And we each have um, things that we share together. Um, and I think it's important to see myself and who I am in its entirety as an important part of that whole community. Mm -hmm. And I can only play that role if I'm open about it. Absolutely. And I can only be that for other people if I'm open about it. And also, I can only open myself up to their support if I'm open about it. This is true. That's the only way to get help. This is very <laughs> true. But you got to you have to do it when you're comfortable and at your authentic voice. There is no right way to do this, but I'm really excited and happy that people 
are finally talking about it and that it's Mm -hmm. not so stigmatized. I mean, Mm -hmm. there is still a huge stigma about it. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, having an illness or, you know, there's like almost a personal Mm -hmm. blame to it, Mm -hmm. but it's not. I mean, this is Mm -hmm. like, this is a wiring, this is chemical. Mm -hmm. uh, And in the same way that you would look at, you know, someone having diabetes or Mm -hmm. anything else, like type one diabetes, like there's no control. Like you can do things that help to prevent your situation, but it's something that you have to manage. Mm for the rest mm-hmm. of your life. But there's strength in that. And the mm-hmm. fact that your treatment almost, your way of preventing this or to to make you stronger in this fight for it is your connection and your storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the big fear is that I will that I would be seen as being unreliable, mm. weak, um, a loose cannon, um, you know, we don't know like she's unpredictable. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um and that's my that's my personality obviously like I I want to be I want to be reliable I want to be consistent I want to be something that you somebody that you can depend on yeah and so I think that my struggle was in how to reconcile that yeah and I'm still figuring that out honestly Mm -hmm. because there is no promise that I'm not going to be seen that way Mm -hmm. after coming out I mean people can judge it how they want to judge it but the people who you want in your life the people that you know, trust, and respect are going to see the truth behind it. They're not going mm-hmm. to, or they'll ask questions, or they may go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just the process of things. Not mm-hmm. everyone can handle it. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the truth is too that I may not all, I may not be as constantly able to function at top capacity as I would like to be. Mm-hmm. Just like anybody with, you know. Crohn's disease or diabetes, like you mentioned, or some something like that. If they have a, a health issue come up, they might have to miss a meeting. Yeah, and that's really hard for me to accept in myself. But I think that it's an important part of it too. Yeah. Is saying okay, like this is the actual situation here, and I may have to sometimes take care of myself first, mm-hmm. and. It is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> well, I think it's awesome that, that you took this step. I think it's awesome that you were on this podcast and you'll, I think this is going to be impactful for a lot of our listeners. So I really applaud you for taking that brave okay. step and being here. <laughs> but I have to ask you the two questions that I ask all of our guests. Oh my gosh. It's so hard. <laughs> what do you think is your superpower? I should have listened to your podcast before I came here (laughs) (laughs) so I can prepare for this. My superpower, let's see, I am really, really good at identifying horrible smells. (laughs) It's the worst. It's the worst. Yeah. And I can find the source, too. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And what's your kryptonite? (laughs) Can I say it's the same thing? It's the horrible smells. (laughs) It goes hand in hand. Our greatest strength is also I'm our greatest weakness. I'm a delicate weakness. flower. You are. You really are. A wilting petunia. I'm very sensitive. I'm so sensitive. Well, Stacey, thank you for being so sensitive and sharing your story uh, and inspiring other Spitfires that are listening. If people want to know your journey, if they want to connect with you, if they want to share, how should they do that? Sure. A Facebook, of Facebook. course. Facebook. All right. We will put the link to your Facebook. You're going to get all of the friends. People stalk me like crazy because I apparently have a million downloads. No, I don't. Um, but thank you so much for, for spending your, your afternoon here, a Friday afternoon in Southwest D.C. Yeah. And for all the Spitfires out there, keep being awesome.